This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hello, welcome to We Are Curious. It's Friday 19th of, of March and there's a lot of interesting things to talk about. As usual, we start with markets and this week um, KCB and Cooperative Bank released the results and we saw declines in both institutions. So the, the financials for KCB declined by 22%. It's, it recorded a profit of 19.6 billion down from 25.2 billion and Cooperative Bank recorded um, decline in net earnings by 25% and declared an earnings rather, sorry, a, a dividend of um, one shilling. Again, uh, the decline in, uh, in results for, for b- both banks and the banking industries in general was expected, given the impact of um, COVID-19, especially to lending. Eric, do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, so I think from my, from my point of view, and um, our market analysts today, Asuma and and Felix, I see Azuma has joined us, so maybe Azuma just feel free to jump in wherever you can. Um, so I think the outlook from the banks isn't as bad as we anticipated or we initially thought it was going to be uh, because, you know, um, most banks issued profit warnings. Uh, most of them have restructured uh, much of their loan book, uh, especially in 2020. Some restructuring close to 60 or 70 percent of the loan book, uh, which is in the billions of, of shillings. Um, so obviously we were going to expect um, their earnings uh, sort of on their profits, especially to be to be much hit. Uh, but I feel like um, this shows that the sector is actually quite, quite resilient uh, mm-hmm. because in as much as they've like for KCB, you say um, there's been a slight drop in the profits. Uh, I still that that's pretty st- uh, that's still pretty decent uh, performance uh, from a year when you know it, it was basically um, uh, a pandemic year and there wasn't much going on. Another interesting thing for me uh, on the KCB results is uh, obviously NBK um, and seeing also NBK post quite uh, positive results and as a result we saw um, KCB saying they're going to pump in an extra three billion yeah. uh, into NBK, so that shows that they're actually quite uh, optimistic about uh, NBK as a as, as a bank and the value that they they eventually act- actually bring to to KCB itself. Um, then on Copbank, the earnings declined twenty five percent. Yeah, so again that's quite sizable, but which was still expected. And for shareholders, uh, there was a one shilling dividend declared. Um, I know most banks, especially like Equity Bank, uh, last year had to defer any dividends. Yes. So this is actually a good thing because uh, that means maybe um, we should see more uh, more banks or more listed companies uh, offering dividends and just showing that, you know, yes, the pandemic altered or uh, affected their businesses, but out of resilience, we're actually uh, looking now forward into the future and, uh, and just making sure we can be able to to then um, still uh, perform or still uh, have that obligation to shareholders. Yeah, so maybe I don't know assume what you think uh, in this specific regard about uh, the banking industry and their results. From uh, from where I sit, I think so far so so far not not bad. I think as we had expected. Uh, I think you remember very well in our in our recent midweek uh, chat the podcast we said that uh, so far the banks that uh, say uh, mo- yes most of these financial institutions had actually issued uh, profit warnings, but so far not bad. I think KCB uh, posted more than expected. I think uh, looking back at the recent uh, CPK meeting, I think what they said is that the NPC meeting, the total lenders, I think, restructured about 54.2% of the entire uh, sector of the banking industry in 2020. 
So and compared to what KCP has posted, I think KCP is doing quite good. Thanks. Yeah, so um, then maybe Eric, you can also touch bri- briefly touch on what we expect because I know it's the earnings season. So there's quite a number of um, of results that are going to be released in the next in the coming weeks uh, or months, so to speak. So maybe uh, from your point of view, what should we look out for, uh, both from the banking industry perspective and also from now the other industries that uh, and other companies that will be releasing the results. I think banks uh, from I think we should expect uh, posted there are some the share prices will be quite good in terms of the entire sector probably where uh, another interesting that uh, we should watch out for should be the insurance industry uh-huh. I think uh, some, of, some of them should be releasing uh, or think they should because basically the financial services industry so I think we should expect some of them yeah. Uh, but but overall, I think uh, it's. I think I'm optimistic about that industry. I think uh, the, the banking sector is at the core of making. Uh, eventually, when the economy starts to to rebound and come back to normal, I think uh, that will be a good time. To, I think banks will be able to support that. So I'm I'm, I'm optimistic about the industry. Mm. Uh, okay, I I feel like um, I feel like again the the performance of of the banking industry also sort of reflected quite a little bit on the on the markets this week with um, the banking sectors trading shares worth of Kenyan shillings 504 and 4 million accounting for close to 30 percent of this week's traded value on the lead we saw uh, equity group holding lead um, which which rose by 4.13 percent to Kenyan shillings 41.65 and also managed to move 6 million shares valued at uh, 247 247 uh, million. I think um, for for both for both the banks that we've discussed, we had we had gains. I see that cooperative bank is amongst uh, the top gainers, top counters gaining this week, which rose to uh, 13.9 percent, a whopping 7.34 gaining. Yeah. So so so, I, and I think that's that's just investors saying, you know what, we actually expected. Um, pretty bad results or not as good results as you know KCB and Cobank posted. Yeah. So it actually now shows them uh, trying to you know come back in and uh, grab those banking stocks because at the moment, as we've constantly said on the podcast, we, we believe that they're actually trading at, uh, at at a, at a sort of like a discount, um, not at their fair uh, prices because you know um, KCB had quite a high. Um, a high target price last year uh, and you know the pandemic ruined that and brought them to the you know 38 equity bank is about 42 43 so we still feel like um they could go up uh, mm-hmm. and with more banks reporting uh, hopefully slightly better results than anticipated we should see much more investor activity coming back into those counters uh, to just reinforce that uh, belief and that um, hope that the industry is actually rebounding and headed for better days. Well, 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 away from markets. Let's talk about another big headline for the week. Yeah. Um, petrol prices hit Ken Shillings 1 point, uh, sorry, 122.8. Uh-huh. And um, I think I think this is this is the most expensive we've seen we've seen fuel this year. Definitely has to be. And um, it wasn't just super petrol this time, it, it cut across the board. So uh, diesel in Nairobi will retail, or rather is retailing at 107.66 and kerosene is at 97.85. And this, um, this petrol prices this time raised quite an uproar, especially on Twitter with um, guys saying that the government is, is going too far with the taxes, you know. Close to half of the cost of petrol is pure taxes. Mm-hmm. Eric, I know you're advocating for the government <laughs> in this one. What do you have to say about No, that? I'd rather we start with our energy correspondent, Miss Eunice. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. In as much as I would want to complain, I know there is nothing that will change. But... Well, we could change a few things. Like what? <laughs> you can't change the fuel prices. I'll still have to pay 122 point uh-huh. something Kenya shillings mm-hmm. till the 14th of April, yeah. which I think is too high okay. because 
high cost fuel means everything that uh, is related to fuel or anything in life is going to climb. Mm-hmm. My hunger is going to cost more. Mm-hmm. Electricity prices will, will going to is going to rise. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I would like to hear your mm-hmm. justification on being on the government side <laughs> to, to increase the prices of the most uh-huh. basic commodities in life right now. Yeah. I- I think for this I will I will I will I will I will accept to take your stones so to speak. <laughs> um, but for me, this is how I see it. Um, so we have to look at it uh, context in in context. Contextually, yeah? contextually. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. Thank you, Makanena. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to look at it in to- in context. So um, I think fuel is now retailing globally at. Uh, above 60 per barrel which is about 65 yeah uh, dollars per barrel so which means um, that already um, the landing costs for the fuel are going to be quite high than they were say in September or December last year and I'm just going to pull up a chart uh, that shows uh, so in March 2021 uh, what do you want us to talk about diesel or diesel or super petrol Super petrol. super petrol, super petrol. So for super petrol in March, um, so the taxes are about fifty-seven bob. Uh, then we get about twelve point three nine, which is the margins that the retailers make, right. and then about forty-nine bob as the landed cost. Yes. So if you look at the chart shared from uh, from Ipra, um, you see that in Jan twenty twenty-one, the landing the landed cost was thirty-five bob. Mm-hmm. per liter of super petrol that has jumped to 49 bob in march so that's 14 bob increase yeah yes uh, so if you look at the taxes in jan it was 55.42 and in march it's 57.33 that's slightly 1.9 mm, 1.91 so you, so you point three. no no no, no. <laughs> so between the two months the landed costs have increased by 14 bob and the tax has increased by one shilling and 90 cents yeah you can go all the way back to may 2020 mm. when uh, fuel was about 84 per liter of super petrol so the tax was 46 Kenyan shillings and um, the landed costs were 20 Kenyan shillings right. per liter so that means between May 2020 and March 2021, taxes have risen by 11, uh, 11 bob, while the landed costs have risen by uh, 29 bob. Again, I'm not, I'm not on the government side, <laughs> but um, the way these fuel costs go is the government um, already has a fixed rate per liter of fuel, whatever, that they have agreed on right. with uh, IPRA to enforce. So it's not like in March the government increased the taxes on fuel. No, no, no. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, Eric. Yeah. Let me finish. Sure. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. <laughs> I still agree that we are still taxed too much per liter of petrol. But for this specific case in March, the government did not hike the fuel, the taxes on fuel. The, the, the cost went up Based on the fact that Landing fuel cost. is actually much more expensive now than it was three months ago. Yeah? Yes. Mm-hmm. But, but then here's the thing, Eric. Yeah? February, yeah. last month, yeah? yeah. our inflation hit uh, a nine-month high. Yeah. We, we got all the way to 5.78, driven by the price of fuel and food, and, 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 and food yeah? Yeah. With, with the rising fuel costs by, by you know, this much, much inflation is definitely going to be a 10-month high. Uh-huh. I totally agree with you. The thing is, in as much as the government has not increased taxes on fuel, mm-hmm. our current taxes with the current prices means that the cost of the cost of goods, including the cost of the cost of um, of fuel is too high. It's becoming unbearable. Mm-hmm. And since fuel affects the the cost of um, other other commodities, mm-hmm. maybe we should sit down and reconsider a few things. Okay, like for instance, 
like cutting the taxes on fuel. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing, though, uh, that if you've if you've not yet seen um, that I have seen with this government is uh, they are going for more taxation, you know, and that's their policy, and you know they have their own reasons why they're doing that. So for me, I wouldn't worry about that uh, quite much. Um, the other thing that we look at is um, the shilling, how it's performing against the dollar. Mm-hmm. Again, th- those are the things that are putting us in this bad this situation. Because if if you look, um, again, for context, let me look at another chart from Trading Economics. Um, so the most expensive fuel has been is about 1.6 dollars per liter which was way back in 2009 uh, 2007 i think which actually necessitated the formation of the then energy regulatory commission right. to at least make sure fuel doesn't go to crazy amounts because at that point it was about 1.6 dollars uh, per liter and since then i think it's been between uh, 0.75 to you know 1.4 per dollar and actually at the moment now you would say fuel is ranging at about uh, a dollar, you know. Right. But now you see now, the, with the inflation, it means that we actually buy that uh, little fuel at one o eight, one ten, and for diesel maybe one, you know, uh, sorry for for super petrol is about one twenty two, and then for diesel one o eight. So again, our runaway um, depreciation of the Kenyan shilling is always going to affect such things like fuel because uh, we buy them in dollars. So again, policies around making sure like uh, the shilling is not depreciating that much, which I know the CBK is looking at that, is another factor that could actually cushion, uh, say, inflation. Uh, but obviously, I am not uh, saying you know that fuel is cheap. It is very, very <laughs> expensive. Uh, there's lots of taxes in there that I feel personally should not be there. Um, but yeah, like what, what, what can we do now? What should we do? I personally think that uh, I don't want to cast on air, <laughs> but I think that's not an excuse because mm-hmm. if you go back and look at the oil prices, the international crude oil prices mm-hmm. before COVID, mm-hmm. there were it was more expensive. It was selling at so I had I have I had to go back and remove receipts. receipts. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go back and remove receipts. Uh-huh. But for example, in January, crude oil was selling at sixty-seven point eight zero dollars. Mm-hmm barrel mm-hmm. and now it's at 61 mm-hmm. with the exchange rate of 100 okay maybe the exchange rate then was a little bit nine bob difference mm-hmm. but still it still doesn't justify mm-hmm. as a government mm-hmm. seeing the oil prices raising all that much is, mm-hmm. I'm complaining but I know nothing will happen because then right now our government is at a fix because we have debts to pay mm-hmm. and we are not beating a incomes the mm-hmm. government is not making incomes mm-hmm. so what's the only way they have they have to do they either cut costs mm-hmm. in-house which they have chosen not to. which they have chosen not to mm-hmm. so the only other option is we pay we pay to be <laughs> citizens Kenyan citizens <laughs> anyway and we pay guys, with a lot of pain i feel like this this taxes and 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 fuel issue is is way way bigger uh, but if you're listening on Telegram and you would want to uh, to uh, join the discussion, please just comment and we'll unmute you so you can get a chance to share your thoughts. Um, Asuma, I don't know if you have anything on your end in regards to um, fuel and just thoughts around that before we proceed to the next topic. Look, the whole point is taxation is too Becoming hard doing business in this country. Uh-huh. In a way, uh, it's it's. I, I think manufacturers are complaining, right? Which industry is doing well? Almost every industry is complaining that look, the government is increasing is increasing the taxes. At this point, how do we support um, uh, generally the communities? How do we get the money to pay shareholders? But I think it also affects on their end because. They have debts to pay, right? Yeah. Uh, they have to support all this infrastructure. But then I, I, I think it's, it's in terms of taxes. Uh, I think the the main reason uh, why the prices have gone up is generally around taxes. 
It's not so, taxes. Uh, but looking at uh, international have... taxes, they've actually, they're not, they're, they're actually down. So I think there's, a, there's one of, I think, a government official that I think went on public and said uh, international oil prices were, were rising. Yet we watch the markets on a daily basis so uh, I think it's something that it's a debate. I don't know how that will go, but I think it's, it's going to be a, a major debate even in the, in the next few weeks. Thanks. Moving away from, from fuel, or rather moving to a country that might have more reasonable um, fuel, fuel taxing policies than ours, Tanzania. Yeah. This week, uh, this week, it was announced that um, John Pombe Magufuli, the former president of Tanzania, passed away. To our listeners in Tanzania, condolences. And um, we'd like to look at the man, specifically um, how his regime rather promoted or what were his trade policies, especially with Kenya, and um, how, how did the man handle international uh, um, and trade international trade specifically around um, mining yeah um maybe i'll, I'll just go first uh, before asum and nyawira come in so uh, i think first condolences to the people of tanzania the republic of tanzania um it's, it's you know it's it's never easy to to lose a sitting president and obviously that throws lots of things into disarray sort of um, but for me, to the incoming president, uh, Suluhu Hassan, you know, um, she's not the, per se the first uh, woman president in Africa or, or in East Africa, but it's actually a big step um, having that she was actually sworn in. Uh, you know, there was lots of uncertainties and lots of uh, rumors here and there, especially on Twitter, KOT. They weren't letting Tanzanians breathe. Um, yeah, but for me, it would be interesting to see how she handles a couple of things going forward. So we know that Tanzania was uh, was one of those countries that were opposed to the UK and the East African Community Deal. Uh, they felt they needed more time to you know go through the terms and just get a couple of things right. Uh, so it would be a good thing to see how she handles that going forward. We also know Tanzania was a bit wary, wary of, of joining the ESC and especially uh, you know, being in a, in a trade block with Kenya. Um, and again, we, we've had a lot of, um, I wouldn't call it a trade war, but we've, we've had a lot of uh, friction between, especially in trade between Kenya and Tanzania, which hasn't really helped either country because uh, we should be actually, uh, they should be one of our biggest trade partners. So if you look at Kenya's biggest trade partners, it's Pakistan is in the top three. We have Uganda there, we have UK and US, you know, uh, in sort of like the top five, but I feel like Tanzania should and would be, you know, um, in those top countries if our relations were quite good. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more interested to see how she will uh, handle the relations going forward given that um, we are neighbors, we share a border and there's lots of uh, activities that Tanzania benefits of us, especially if you look at tourism. All, most tourists come, you know, transit through Kenya uh, or come from Nairobi or Mombasa and, you know, take the trucks to uh, their parks, um, Serengeti and the likes. Uh, there's lots of goods that we buy from Tanzania and uh, some that as well we sell there. So it, it would be important to see how she she handles the relation, if she tries and mends that. Because um, again, at the end of the day, we want we, we want to be trade partners. Uh, and I feel like having um, an agreement, a trade agreement with the EU um, as the East African community is actually much more, uh, more it's better for us in the long run. Uh, than just having uh, one uh, or just having the trade agreement between Kenya and the EU. But yeah, interesting to see what happens in the next few months. <clears throat> I'm with you on that one. I'm excited that we have a lady president. We are racking up. I mean, this month is the wins. Okay, first, condolences to Tanzania. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you I don't... <laughs> 
condolences to Tanzania for their loss. And also, um, I saw this um, this post on Twitter. We are very sad. We lost President Magufuli, and also it's not bad. And also, we have also gotten an opportunity to have a lady uh, as a president, as a president in East Africa, which I think um, it's a great achievement. Also, because um, over the past months, we've seen many ladies take up positions uh, in leadership. And uh, this is another chance uh, Her Excellency Suluhu has got to... Now you're making me look bad <laughs> for not having the High Excellency. Her Excellency <laughs> Samia Suluhu to take an opportunity to lead Tanzania. And it'll be for her to be, to be a Vice President to President Magufuli was, a, was termed as a bulldozer. It mm. means there is a reason why she was there for that long. And to be able to carry all the visions that Magufuli had. So my belief is he, she is going to carry on the torch for him. But also, when you read her profile, so I had to read a very short profile because in the time to pre prepare for this was very short. But when you read her profile, it's some, she's someone who has been in politics for quite a while. So it's not that it has caught her by surprise. And I'm pretty sure she has strategies and visionaries that she wants she wants to work on. Magufuli had a reputation of, for example, of putting, so I have Be to go, now. I had, I have to go socioeconomic social right Be now, being now. a girl. <laughs> <laughs> but uh -huh. Magufuli had, so every, every president has a good things that he did and the bad things he did. For Magufuli, apart from COVID, was a famous one where he tried to put girls who were pregnant out of school. So I hope having a female president, there will be an insight. Probably she should have done this when still Magufuli was in office, but let's see if this is an opportunity for her to overturn such decisions. But I'm really optimistic. Since I th Tanzania, I think economically, it grew the over, the, over the first six years, it has grown. Even here in Kenya, we admire the transportation system. We admire the, infra the infrastructure system. So I would, I would, it would be really interesting to see how far they're going to go. And I know this is a cheap shot. And I already told you guys when you were down there. No. Don't show us your political aspirations. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what I love All about I'm saying is Mother mm, Karua. Then we stop. <laughs> Trying to cut out. Let's leave it. Let's leave it as there's hope for a Kenyan female president soon. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I well, know you're just saying it, that to to make it, me cool down, in, but in, it's okay. In that spirit, AFP posted a tweet and actually had uh, Tanzania. They they shaded Kenya instead of Tanzania Ooh, yes. on their Africa map. Man, I we're in 2021 and news organizations African are still, are. still can't point African countries on a map. Do, they, do, do AFP have a bureau desk in Africa? <laughs> the one no, who is on know. that desk. <sighs> Shame on them. <laughs> anyway, uh, maybe maybe just to touch slightly on one, what Yuni said. Um, for me, I also feel like rather than just, you know, continuing the torch of what Magufuli has done. And I think in her first public address, she and everyone was in masks, which is actually quite uh, good because then it shows that, you know, she's acknowledging that COVID is real. So that COVID denial, denialism is gone, hopefully. Uh, and I'm also very, very interested to look at their vaccination strategy, uh, because as you know, countries across Africa have started vaccination, Kenya, uh, as well, we have started by the public, uh, so I know a, a few people uh, have gotten their shots at the Ministry of Health. Ali, since you're looking at me strangely, you can get your your COVID-19 jab free of charge at the Ministry of Health offices in Upper Hill. Really? Yeah, be sure to go very early in the morning, you'll get your jab. So it's two, two jabs, so you'll get the first one and then within 14 days you can get the second one. Free of charge, no cost. And the government's plan is to roll that down out across different health facilities in every county. So uh, we already have started our vaccination strategy, so it will be interesting to see what Tanzania do. You know, 
Um, you know what I love about Magufuli? Mm-hmm. Specifically how he handled Parik. The gold yes. companies, why? Um, here's the thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like the first duty of a, of a president is his obligations towards his country first. Okay. And I felt like... Um, okay, Trump. <laughs> I mean, I, I, hate, I hate Trump for many, many reasons, mm-hmm. but then you know what? He's the president of the United States, not of the world. So, US first. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if... You know what? Let me just roll back. Barrett Gold, guys. Barrett Gold. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I feel like um, making Barrett Gold pay, pay back the, the 300 million in, mm-hmm. in tax disputes, mm-hmm. as well as making sure that the government owns um, stake in every um, gold mine in, in, in Tanzania, I think by Barrick, there were around nine months, yeah. as well as um, having sort of um, Forming, forming the new subsidiary was it Twigger, which yeah. which was a 50-50 split with with Barrick and making sure that the Tanzanian government has say in the country's mining was was a power move. Yeah. Look, Tanzania is not the biggest um, gold exporter; it's it's the fourth biggest in in the continent. But then, just making sure a country has say towards um, its its resources was was a bold move. And I don't know how Sulu will handle it, but then I'm curious. I'm curious to see about that. Um, with with Suluhu, I, I think I'm going to be selfish on this one. I want to see better trade between Kenya and Tanzania. Tanzania has has great potential being a member of both the ESC and uh, the Southern African it's Development it's Trade Group. It's SADC. Yeah. SADC. Yes. It's all member of ESC. No, it's both. Yeah, both. I think I think I think that gives it um. Way, way more trade partners. It's definitely more stable than we are, mm-hmm. and I think I think that's important. It's stable and in what ways? Politically, please. Is it? Yes, I think. <laughs> here's the thing. I Is feel it? like Kenya has way more uncertainty uh-huh. around the political period than Tanzania does. Yeah, sure. For a fact. Yes. I feel Do like people have an opinion towards that stability? <laughs> the man just I died. Stop just. <laughs> okay, stop there. Uh, I, 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 I wouldn't. I don't know the nitty gritties of the stability, but then definitely way less it than we are. Um, bigger, bigger border, more people to trade with, and I feel like they'd make a great ally for Kenya. Yeah, and I want to see how that goes. Great. Eric, anything, anything that I might have missed out? No, uh, I think for me again, it's uh, it's it's interesting to see how um, we they proceed from here. Uh, so obviously, first and foremost, it's raining in COVID, and then from there now they would look at uh, other relations. But I agree with you. Um, I feel like president's first duty is to his country. And in as much as we felt Magufudi was over the board and, you know, there was no playbook, I feel like in the long run, even uh, if you look at the recent, uh, I think there's a recent comments by the Barrett Gold CEO where he's saying uh, Magufudi was actually a visionary because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what he wants is at the end of the day, in as much as you're operating in Tanzania, we make sure most of the proceeds go to benefit Tanzanians. So not just uh, all of that being run by foreign companies, because uh, we are already at an advantage, at disadvantage as Africa uh, countries in Africa, whereby uh, we hadn't, we don't have enough infrastructure, good enough infrastructure. You know, our living standards are quite low. So if we get com- countries which are just using us as production uh, areas and all of those outputs go to benefit other countries, it's obviously leaving us worse off than. Uh, you know, we were so it was. It was actually a good move by uh, by Magufuli in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe my my two cents on that. So I think uh, to our brothers in Tanzania, Poleni Sana, Kamusiba. Then, but man, <laughs> you know Swahili. <laughs> Damn, I've never heard you speak Swahili before. <laughs> of how the performance I think of uh, the economy during Afghanistan I think it was the economy performed quite well uh, in terms of uh, I, I think the, a recent report mentioned that city will actually be in the coming few months city 
city said that Tanzania will be the fastest, will emerge as the fastest growing economy uh, in the continent. Uh, but generally, that, that's, that's related to, of course, there were no lockdowns, then which brings a point of COVID. Um, thinking in as much as Mabukuli never admitted this, uh, but I think he had a, he, his economic record was quite uh, outstanding. Uh, then speaking of gender, I saw Eunice was happy that uh, <laughs> at least now the good thing in the, the continent we have with uh, woman president, I think it's good. Um, probably her policies might, might not be the same as Mabufuli because you know, when, it, when it comes to leadership, it's always about a person's own values, those things. But then in terms of, uh, I watched a video of uh, Mabufuli uh, uh, saying how, why she chose her. I think she had a good record. Uh, she, I think she's a, she's a good person. And then it's also a chance to give women uh, this leadership, these leadership positions, and and see how they. But I'm I'm, I'm quite happy for. I think it's a good thing for for, for women in general. Uh, but hopefully, let's see in terms of how the trade policies between Tanzania, the neighboring countries, uh, go in the coming months in terms of how they negotiate that. But but overall, I'm optimistic, man. Moving on. Um. So earlier, Airtel Africa has. Actually, I remember, I think it was around in, uh, in February, was it? It announced plans to sell a minority stock in its mobile money division and uh, some of its tower sites in, in the continent in its um, strategic asset monetization bid. And um, actually, this week, news came out that they sold equity worth of 200 million US dollars to, to TPG. And um, in the in the nine month results, um, the mobile money category, I remember the the revenue grew by thirty four percent year on year to one hundred and ten um, million. What do you think about this, uh, Eric? I still feel like Airtel is is always always very very undervalued. Um, so, so when so there isn't obviously that uh, two hundred million investment mm -hmm. values their African um, mobile commerce venture at two point six five billion dollars only for 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 a company the scale of Airtel you know in all those African countries because um, I feel like Airtel has majority. Um, Network coverage or market chain should be more than sixteen African countries. Um, so I feel like they haven't really gotten to a point where um, they've figured out the mobile money uh, side of things. Maybe now having an external investor like uh, TPG would actually now help uh, actually make them. Uh, get more value from their mobile money um, side of the business, uh, but all in all, I don't know. It's it's a deal that I, I I'm not quite you know optimistic or happy about. Maybe they feel like um, there's lots of competition, and you know they are in most markets they are either second or third. Uh, and they feel like they wouldn't catch up to say players like M-Pesa who you know have uh, lots of subscribers in across different markets, um, or say the MTNs uh, you know in in West Africa and a couple of countries here and there. Um, but again, Airtel has historically struggled across the continent, True. so this could be them uh, trying to um, achieve faster growth by offsetting some of the assets that they have. Uh, I know they they are also in plans to offset more. Uh, they are saying they want to dilute much more uh, percentage in um, in their East African East African and West Africa mobile money again. So they want to dilute that step by as much as twenty five percent. So let's see let's see how let's see how it goes. But um, could be a good deal for them in the long term to catch up with the competition. But for me, I feel like uh, that's it's pretty on the low side if, if we are talking, you know, just uh, numbers from a point of view of comparing them to other players like, uh, like say, M-Pesa or the other MTNs or Tigos. Well, I, I, don't, I feel like me and Airtel, 
I don't know, man. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but, but, but I think only in Kenya we see Airtel is not such a big brand. But I think in, for example, in Uganda, apart from MTN, Airtel still has a good market share. Yeah, they do. Users. Yeah. I feel like, you know what? Uh, since for as long as telco and mobile money are going to be mixed, the money is on mobile money. We, mm-hmm. we look at Safaricom revenues. Definitely, if you if you're not leading with mobile money, kuna Yeah. I don't know. Asuma, do you have anything to say? Interesting. Um, the thing is, I think TPG got a good deal here. I think it's a good deal. Uh, I think one of the things that Eunice has mentioned uh, is that don't look at Airtel as Airtel Kenya. Look at it from a continental perspective. Uh, actually, the mobile money segment of the business uh, was actually the fastest growing segment in the entire business world. Um, I think it needs, it needs in, the, in the last quarterly results, uh, in terms of, I think, the, are you, what, the, the total user base, I think it's, it's, it's quite a lot. Uh, I think around over 100 million. Right? If I'm not wrong, Ali. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I'm saying it's, yeah, and that's why we're saying it's 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 a bit uh, undervalued in in the sense that yes. they're actually yes. majority in a couple of TPG markets. Got a good deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. TPG, TPG actually got a good deal, and right now you've seen what's happening across the continent. It's everything is going digital in terms of when the COVID accelerated some of these things. You you've seen startups from West Africa. Being uh, raising lots of funding because uh, generally uh, digital transactions at the moment. A discussion, with, I think, even Eric, you mentioned this week about people see it that um, uh, some of these leading platforms like Mpesa uh, have a huge market share. But if you look at it, the majority of the transactions still happen in cash. Yeah. So imagine 95% still happen, happens in cash. Imagine what. If that 95% came into, or even 50% of that cash in circulation came into the digital economy, things would be much easier. I think. I think TPG got a good deal. Uh, let's see what happens in the long run. If we are able to grow uh, into more markets and probably gain more market share in countries like Kenya, where they have, uh, in a way, they have been suppressed by Mpesa. So uh, it's an interesting deal. Yeah, and then also look, just looking at an African uh, perspective, uh, our friends in Kuda recently raised, uh, they've raised actually today, if I'm not wrong, $25 million uh, um, in addition to the $10 million they seed uh, funding they did in December, I think it should be in uh, December last year. Yeah. Um, Eric? We have always talked about challenger banks, and uh, if we are looking at the African continent, um, it's basically Kuda, uh, Time Bank in South Africa. Um, in Kenya, we don't have a challenger bank yet. Um, so, wh- what do you think about Kuda's recent raise? Putting it into perspective with uh, some other global challenger banks, especially in the UK or US like Monzo um, and how they've been going about uh, given that they, most of them have been struggling to uh, actually live up to expectations uh, from the early hype days. What do you think uh, holds for challenger banks, especially in Africa? I think uh, Eric seems to be fine. Yeah, I think Eric is off Mokaneno. Yes, you, you can hear me. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I was on mute. It's fine. So, um, I, I was saying, look, when you look at how Kuda started, they began as Kudi Money, if you remember very well, Eric, been in the startup space for a while. So, I think when they were Kudi Money, they were doing more of, uh, more of lending. I think they went rebranded and then adopted a digital strategy. They acquired a microfinance license, but then they moved everything digital. They were it's basically purely digital bank. Yeah. I, I think if, if if you compare the reason why why are some of these startups that are raising chunks of VC funding um, are well, well, most of them coming from let's say the West Africa part. One thing I think West Africa West Africa is a huge market. 
it's a huge market for for investors for even companies looking to do business there but the thing is uh then it's it's in terms of when you compare that market to Kenya locally or in the east african market we have mobile money so it's it's much easier for these people to go build products whereby uh, let's say it's much easier to do the transactions here so i think an interesting discussion a few weeks ago was that it's on the payment side of business uh, it's hard to build a competitor product for this but then you can build a much better product but offer financial services in a much easier way uh, so that you don't seem you are competing with them pesa or you offering same same thing most of these digital financial services locally are have always been uh, when it comes to p2p uh, or consumer products for financial services it's it's in my own opinion it's, it's the core features that mpesa already have, already has send money uh, pay bills by airtel so mpesa already perfected on that unless you're coming to invent from another in a way build a product looking at a totally different angle maybe how by uh, how do you build more products but then it's an interesting thing uh, in terms of the competitor banks uh, others that have been watching other likes of monzo uh, i think most of these challenger banks are picked up in uh, in europe it's an interesting thing but but then i think in the in the in the future in terms of how financial markets will look uh, i think banks in terms of banks will be left to do their works then fintechs most of in in my opinion build the technology then let banks uh, in a way let banks be banks but you can easily partner with them something that even our local regulators have been calling for generally I think it's an interesting thing it's an interesting space at the moment the fintech space uh, there's a lot of hype around it uh, I'm, i'm really excited about what this holds uh, going forward not just uh, the next 10 years how banks how banks will say react i think a few of our local banks and we said that look uh, is this the big tech or the technology firms as uh, partners rather than as competitors Yeah. I think there are things that a bank does well and then there are things that uh, say um, the fintechs will do well. Thanks. Yeah. So and, and I think maybe just to celebrate uh, a few deals that have happened uh, in the startup space across Africa in the past few weeks. Obviously we're in the same space and uh, it's really a lot of um, good things to see uh, our brothers in Nigeria especially. um do quite a lot especially in raising capital and there's a lot that has happened in the few weeks and days uh, so uh, i don't know if you know delivery quick uh, they raised they actually just raised about 1.7 million pre pre serie funding raise uh, that's today uh, there's another company called plenty worker again still a fintech um I think they've raised uh, let me just confirm that but they've also just uh, announced that recently it should be two days ago uh, obviously there is uh, there is the flutter wave uh, 170 million which we reported um, there's still another company called Tami network uh, who have joined uh, YC and gotten another 1.4 million uh, funding there's no manini yes dollars uh, there's upchef there's basically a lot I, i don't think there's been quite another month where uh, we've seen lots of uh, inflow of capital into african startups as we have seen in this from i think mid feb to now march we've seen quite a lot um, and if you want to follow uh, startup funding across africa obviously we we we, we we follow a lot of what brita bridges do so you can check them out uh, brita bridges uh, you can check um, who else max kuliva yeah uh, max kuliva a lot of compilations on people who on startups which have raised um, was the other guys called I, I, i forget but we'll, <laughs> we'll but then i think brita if yeah, you brita bridges, bridges you're pretty much hooked yeah 
so yeah so it's it's pretty interesting at the moment nigeria is taking you know all the cake but i believe uh, maybe there's deals in the pipeline in east africa uh, that should be announced soon uh, so it's 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 interesting to just keep an eye on that uh, but all in all if your brother in, in nigeria is winning you as a startup in kenya i believe you're also winning so it's massive kudos to our brothers in nigeria and all the best it's it's good that they're actually putting the african fintech space on the map we've spent too long just saying you know africa is the next frontier africa is the next big market but we're actually seeing that from the ticket sizes that these investors are actually putting up that they are they are ready to now put their money where their mouth is uh, but then now looking on a global scale uh, when you put that into perspective uh, and you look at stripe uh, where um, stripe raised uh, was it 600 million dollars at a 95 billion valuation making them instantly the biggest uh, unicorn in in america uh, you know you know that's massive to put it into context actually those investors paid for 0.03% of stripe at that amount of money so it's it's massive to look at you know what what uh vcs are looking at uh, in the fintech space and just the amount of size uh that actually the fintech space is actually going to uh, to get to it's it's big it's growing and it's only going to get bigger as more and more banks more and more services um get into the fintech space I know since then we've also had a couple of uh, raises from different fintechs uh, across the globe. Um, yeah, Played, Played also, you know, um, I think Played is also going to raise uh, soon at about 10 to 15B valuation. Uh, yeah, so it's it's pretty interesting to see what, what's next. Um, website Builder also Squarespace raised about 300 million. Uh, valuing them close to 30b as well so it's also interesting to to see um, what what happens next well uh, now that Kenya is not represented uh, the Africa Africa Enterprise Challenge Fund actually launched a 1.2 million dollar innovation fund to Kenyan entrepreneurs especially yeah. in the renewable energy space and I know they're looking at uh, specifically sectors like uh, traditional sectors that provide solutions for traditional cooking, mm -hmm. um, climate change, uh, things like water pumping, cooling and refrigeration and agro-processing. Um, so if you're, if you're, or if you know an, um, an entrepreneur looking to build solutions in that sector, definitely watch out for the Africa Enterprise Challenge Fund. Yeah, and also maybe just a little word on that. So besides VC, uh, we've also seen a lot of inflows from funds um so fdb have put on some funds for african investors mm -hmm. i know the savannah fund uh, also a few weeks ago i think we reported 2.5 million um so there's there's also lots of uh, funds to just boost uh, entrepreneurs that, that you know have been put in place especially for uh, for people across the continent uh, and as always we write these stories we keep track of them so uh, check out our website kenyanwallstreet.com uh, obviously uh, you get those news as well first hand on the hisa app and yeah so just keep up to date in case you're interested in funding and um, ways to scale your business on a, more, on a more global scale, this week we saw... Maybe. Sure, yes, Asuma. Maybe, Ali, uh, my comment on, on, on fintechs, the likes of Stripe, what they're doing, the likes of Plate. I think it's a, it's, it's a good day. Fintech is getting a lot of traction. And uh, you, you've seen, uh, uh, there's a recent uh, there's a Silicon Valley firm called Flourish Fund. Uh, they set up an aerobic this week. You can check them out. Uh, it's that co flourish. I think we hear in that story. Uh, another one that uh, what's been happening. Uh, if I think in, in in East Africa we 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 should see quite a lot of uh, a lot of activity. But then looking at the likes of Stripe and Plate, the, 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 most of them are building B two B products. So I think as we go, as because we are still in the early stages of trying to build B two C fintech, I think it's an interesting space. Ali, take over. 
Yeah, so um, I was also saying, uh, thank you for your comment, Eric. On a more global scale, this week around 70,000 Uber drivers were classified as workers. So they get access to, you know, minimum wage, holiday pay and other benefits. And this actually brought an interesting conversation on Twitter's GEO. Our Mpesa agents now Safaricom workers, GEO. Our bartenders now EMBO workers. <laughs> Um, what, what do you, what do you think um, of you know how how such how does such regulation affect or change entirely the gig economy? For me, personal opinion, personal bias, I have always been for drivers being classified as as workers um, for a couple of reasons. So, if you look at uh, Uber, the business model basically of Uber is um, so they're going to get 25% mm -hmm. off of your ride um, so you provide the car you provide your man hours. Essentially you own all infrastructure minus the app. Minus the app uh, so then, then they're going to get 25% um, <clears throat> of, of the revenues. Yes, they did a lot of things by pulling together demand and just connecting drivers to riders we do not uh, dispute that, um, but I feel like that ruling by the UK uh, courts is actually a good thing uh, because then workers can get much more benefits. We've seen more stories or lots of stories across the world whereby people have taken loans, you know, to get cars to put them in Ubers, and then eventually they haven't gotten any any returns from it because basically you the trip that you're making is highly subsidized you know yeah. uh, so at the end of the day whatever cost you make from that trip does not make sense at all economically so there's always been those complaints about you know um, if uber just charged correct you know fees for their rides uh, you know drivers would be at a much better place but you know if they do that then customers won't use uber because then they would pretty be as expensive as normal taxes you get. So their whole business model is kind of flawed because it depends on them offering cheap rides. And for them to offer cheap rides, they have to get lots of funding and make lots of losses for that. And to the second part of your question where, you know, how it affects the gig economy, I feel like it, it makes companies to be more conscious uh, of people who work. I don't want to call them workers, but you know, they are contractors, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I saw last year when um, when DoorDash was IPOing, and they and you know the the founders you know became instant billionaires, and those these uh, lots of stories on 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 Twitter about how you know people are doing endless trips of DoorDash, and they can't still make ends meet. They can't make enough money. To take care of their expenses. So why is it that you know these companies are appearing to make uh, their founders very rich, but the actual people who work on a day-to-day -day can't afford to even meet their, their to, to make their ends meet. So it, I, I feel it will make uh, this the gig economy companies much more conscious mm -hmm. to the people who work for them, and it's actually a good thing. It should be a good thing. Mm -hmm. I I believe reducing that discussion to um, <laughs> I saw, I saw uh, Wainaina saying, replying to that tweet about uh, Safaricom agents being Safaricom employees. He said, now all bus are EABL employees. <laughs> <laughs> I think reducing it to that uh, very simplistic view is quite wrong, in my opinion. In this way, it's quite different because you purchase the goods, you sell them at whatever cost you want, and you make uh, margins off of that. Safaricom's agents is a completely different thing, but I believe with this with this ruling, they would actually go to court and get actually a ruling for them to get benefits. Personally, I think the revolution that's happening many tech industries that provide services, it's coming. Um, it's more or less the uh, I don't know to, labor laws are catching up. To them. Yeah. So when the technology was starting up, there was no any labor law that's um, maybe limiting because it's totally something new. Yeah. Where do you place a person who works at a, uh, a tech company? So there is Uber. 
there's something like Amazon, which are they are fighting in the US to unionize, yeah. and Jeff Bezos is completely against it. And now it's like when, now it's when government, different government bodies are stepping up to stand up for the people, to stand up for the people who actually work and who actually put money in the billionaires. And I think it's a very big step, although there's a little bit of a cliffhanger with the Uber ruling, because the decision they made is the person, um, the driver is guaranteed, um, is guaranteed to work as a to work as an employee for Uber only if you have accepted the trip. Yeah. So if you haven't accepted the trip, you still you you still don't you don't get the privileges. That is really interesting. Yes. Yeah, which is them now, you know, trying to make sure you are not on lift exactly. but getting Uber benefits. So if you accept the trip, that's when you your, your hours start clocking. Your hours start clocking mm-hmm. as an as an employee for Uber. But I think to be very interesting to see going forward how this many different techs that have actually outsourced these services, how they are going to relate with the labor laws. Yeah. And and I think also now just to, to also add on to that, so there's there's a lot that's happening, especially and there's sort of like a revolt against big tech, which is understandable. So there's wealth taxes that the Biden administration is going to put in place. Um there's Google, Amazon employees all unionizing. Um I know in the US Facebook, uh, no, sorry, uh, Uber and DoorDash and Lyft did a lot of lobbying. So these actual uh, rules, these actual laws were were not passed. But I know that now, since they've been passed in the UK, I expect uh, especially France to pick that up because France has also had a big problem with Uber. I expect now more states in the US to actually revisit uh, that discussion. I know even locally, uh, the local cabal association they've already filed a case mm-hmm. with the courts with the local courts for them to also actually be classified as for them to be classified as employees and get those benefits so it's going to be a global worldwide thing uh, and i feel like it's, it, it it only makes sense so there's there's no reason why um owners or founders should make exorbitant amounts of money of other people's labor uh, and not at least uh, you know they, them. they make a lot of money, then they go and open up a big foundation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with a terrible foundation. Anyway, um, I feel like, I, I, I don't know, I still find it, because um, here's the thing, yeah? Mm-hmm. For Uber to actually manage all those things, we definitely expect some changes in the pricing. If they're going to have to offer minimum wage, especially, I think I think we might expect changes in pricing definitely. We have to see. We have it's 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 wait a wait and see. see. Yeah. Yeah. And if if at all um we do entertain that wait and see, won't we be circling back to again um what we're trying to avoid where um a platform a platform has to raise fees, customers go away or keep fees too low and then it's not profitable, like the case of you know Safe Border Kenya mm-hmm. where it had to exit the market space. I feel like the self-border discussion is quite different. Anyway, your friend Swivel came back into the market. <laughs> tell us the <laughs> See, tell us, how, tell us how they came back. <laughs> no, they but... secure some new funding or what's the deal? Uh, I don't know. I, I'd, have to, I'd have to talk to them but, to but find out. The... But then they, didn't, they haven't announced any, any new funding locally. It was just, yeah. um, it was just their entry back, resuming uh, their, their shuttle services. And then, of course, they had um, their carpooling services picking in at, at the beginning of the year. Yeah, but I feel like Uber was the model of the gig economy. So, you know, it was always an Uber for X and an Uber for Y and an Uber Definitely. for Z. Even for little cab, you'll say, let me pick an Uber. Yeah, so, and, and but at the core of it all, their model was a bit flawed, you know. So in as much as, you know, they had all this huge expansion, new markets, lots of drivers, lots of consumers, at the core it's, is the business sustainable? Mm-hmm. That's you know that's the core question. Mm-hmm. So such that um, you know, in as much as uh, you get the regulations and you get all these all these laws now coming up, are you making money? Because since Uber has never made any money, they, they keep making lots of losses, uh, all of that. And we we understand they have made transportation easier, you know, they've helped a lot of things. But at the core of it all, 
are they in a position where they can have a sustainable business model where they say even if you know we are treating these guys as workers at the end of the day we still make enough money to um, to keep us sustainable or uh, make profits so for me it's it's a rude awakening to the gig economy of course lots of companies will survive some might uh, not survive uh, uh, but if you look at uber's play eventually they want to get into driverless cars so which meaning meaning they cut out the the driver completely out of the picture so they don't have to pay any of these benefits so uh, it's it's a wait and see for now it's a wait and see okay uh, i think i think that's gonna that, that was quite a healthy healthy discussion um i think we'll cut it out there but then bef- before we end it again this podcast is brought to you by the by the hisa app um, in case you want to check out cool market data, it's gamified by the way, really, really, really nice, um, uh, easy to understand graphics. Check out the Hisa app on the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store. Um, that's also the place where you're going to find this podcast and other amazing discussions. We've launched a new segment, by the way, it's called Meet the Investor. So if you're interested in understanding the works behind um, how these VCs invest into businesses. Check out our first episode. It's out. We um, we covered an episode with the Uncovered Fund, which is which launched around twenty five um, million for. Is it fifteen or twenty five? No, it should be two point five. Two point five. Sorry. Yeah. 2.5. No, it was actually fifteen million. 15? Yes, wow, okay. it was actually fifteen fifteen million uh, for nice. African startups. It's really, really interesting discussion. If you want to get into business, you definitely need to understand how businesses get get funding. So this is one podcast you can look out for. Um, for those who've joined us in our different different platforms, uh, thank you, thank you so, so much. I'm just going to read your names as usual. Erika Suma, again, um, you're the best. Kunta, Jason Musheru, B2B, you need a new name, man. Musisi, Lois Kuria, Catherine Chuck, Faithy Lukusi, Eric Jackson, you're right here. Thank you so much for, for joining us in this discussion. We're looking forward to the next one. Um, for, for more information on a more market-centric discussion, uh, stay, stay, keep a weather eye on our Monday discussion, Markets Mondays, usually at around um, 9 and 30. We're going to post a link on Telegram. And again, if you didn't get to catch the episode live, we're going to air it on um, our podcast platform available on Spotify and Hisa. That was a very, very long sponsor segment. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Bye, guys. Uh, see you on... We have a new segment on Wednesday. So see you on Wednesday. <laughs>